Welcome to the Disobedient Scientist Podcast. I'm Patty Martin. Every week, we will explore how to heal, integrate, rethink, and create authenticity in our lives. We will explore activism through pleasure and through play, and how climate change intersects with it all. Through a little bit of science and a little bit of woo, we will have some really juicy conversations. Welcome. Okay, so welcome everyone. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sitting here. My kitty is on my lap. She very much wanted to be a part of this conversation, so it's no longer solo right now. So the other day, I'm at the beach. I'm with my mom's dog, Tara. And oh my God, if you want to see Joy personified, you should see this dog at the beach. She is just sprinting circles for 40 minutes straight. It is her happy place. I so appreciate Tara because she allows me to learn a lot about Joy just by watching her run around like tongue hanging out of her mouth, just like this big grin on her face. Anytime anybody sees her, they're like, oh my God, she's so happy. And she really is. Uh, she's actually a really mopey dog besides at the beach. I think she would um, live there forever if she could. But I'm I'm at the beach. I'm walking while Tara's running. And uh, I see this plastic bottle washed up. And this this isn't uncommon. There's a lot of sea trash on the beach in Northern California. Some of it's just from uh, people not being mindful, but a lot of it's getting washed up as well. But what's really special about this moment is I go and I pick up this bottle and there are these white and orange gooseneck barnacles. I think that's what they are. I'm posting a picture with this episode. So if you know what they are, let me know. They look like a barnacle to me. But they're these, like, almost like a pearl white and very vibrant orange barnacle embedded into this plastic. And it's not like it got caught in the plastic. It's that, like, it's obviously using the plastic in place of a rock to live in the ocean. And I saw this, and it's, wow, it blows my mind. This is resilience at its finest. This is also a really just beautiful example for how life is ad- adapting to human impact. It definitely has like zombie apocalypse, nature retaking the world vibes. Um, it was actually really eerie. I've never seen something like this before. And then just like a few days later, I read a scientific report showing that there are these thriving communities of coastal sea life, mainly invertebrates, living in the Pacific garbage patch. My thought would be like, I see poor little seahorses caught in plastic bags. It's absolutely horrible. Ocean trash makes me feel a lot of things, nothing good. but. What this scientific report was saying is they think that plastic pollution in the ocean might actually be enabling the creation of floating ecosystems 
that support species that normally could not survive in the open ocean alone. And it's actually the fact that plastic does not decompose and break down for a very long time, years instead of weeks, months. Uh, I, I don't actually know the half-life of plastic in the ocean, but it'll last a long time, 10 plus years. And it's this long lifetime that allows for sea life to integrate, figure out survival patterns, reproduce, and build an ecosystem out in the open ocean. So th these researchers went and collected about 105 items of plastic from this garbage patch. And from these 105 items, 484 marine invertebrate organisms were collected. And these represent about 46 different species, 80% of which normally are only found in coastal zones in the rocky intertidal near shore. And the organisms that are actually surviving and thriving and creating ecosystem out there are not pelagic open ocean species. They're near shore. And so it's completely changing ocean ecosystems, at least on a micro level. This type of story feels like it's ripe for potential and the ability for the ocean to adapt around us. But overall, what the story does is it really just gives me hope that there is an audacity of life to survive, to find resilience, to overcome that which is impacting. I find this to be a very important lesson from nature. As I think about the wisdom of this story and how it can be applied to my life, there is a critical role of audacity in creating change. So audacity, I had to go look this up too, because what I thought it meant, it actually did mean what I thought it meant, but I wanted to be sure. But audacity is defined as a willingness to take bold risks, uh, the confidence to do what you want. So many of our leaders talk about audacity as mm, a critical energy in order to create change, to create disruption, the audacity of hope. Obama spoke to this. He literally got elected based off of this message, the audacity of equality, the bold risk you take just to be you. Audacity is also defined pretty negatively as a rude or disrespectful behavior. And I find this really ironic because rudeness as a definition just reeks of patriarchy, right? It's a way of controlling behavior. And definitely as a, someone who identifies I'm a cis woman, the threat of being rude has kept me in my place for a very long time. And so I find my audacious behavior to be the opposite of that. It, you know, when I stand for myself fully, when I risk me just being me without pleasing anyone, I can see how my fear is that that will be perceived as rude. It will be perceived as displeasurable, that we don't want to see a person doing that. It is definitely not gendered. It's, I think, a much bigger discussion around power and control in our society. 
But audacity fights that. It leads to that disobedience. Now, I'm not saying to go out and not be mindful and or break consent. I think consent in our lives is essential to function as generous, kind, mindful, and impactful humans. But we can be audacious while also living with consent. And it's really interesting, too, because I think we're also taught to be critical of audacious people, right? Who is this person to say they're an artist or like their art isn't even that good? I could do it better, right? Like there's critique behind people who create, who have the audacity to create, who put themselves out there into the world. We are taught to critique it or maybe a wounded part of us is taught to critique it. Like, who the fuck, Patty, are you to say you're an artist or a poet or a climate scientist or a podcaster when nine out of 10 times I can't even find the words to express what it is I'm feeling or thinking? But the question, the bigger question to that is, who am I not to be? To quote Marianne Williamson, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us most. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Who are you not to be? That's an excerpt from a poem called Our Deepest Fear. Absolutely beautiful. And something I ask myself all the time when I'm facing my fear, when I'm facing failure, when I'm facing inadequacy, who am I not to shine the way I want to, the way that it burns inside me to? This speaks specifically for our need to be audacious, to boldly withstand the risk of judgment, of failure, of not being enough, of being too fucking much. Julie Cameron has, in her book, The Artist's Way, says that very often it is audacity, not talent, that makes an artist an artist. And we can see that, right? As someone who identifies for most of my life as a shadow artist, I definitely have had the experience of of looking at other people's art and saying like, oh, they're an artist? Well, if they're an artist, can't I be one? The only difference between me and them is their decision to do it, to go after it, and my decision to hide. I think this really speaks to someone who is willing to claim themselves fully. That's the decision. John Dewey has said that for every great advance in science, it has been issued from the audacity of imagination. Right? And this hits so true for me. When I think about the most the greatest advancement of science in my generation as a scientist, the discovery of CRISPR and genome editing, how audacious is it for us to think 
we can edit genes. We can go into the very most vulnerable part of ourselves and switch things around, that we can play God. There's a lot of ethics involved in it, including the need for consent, but it is audacious as fuck. A willingness to take bold risks. Hope in the face of difficulty, hope in the face of uncertainty, the audacity of hope. In the end, that is God's greatest gift to us. Barack Obama, in his book, The Audacity of Hope. So how do we find it? How do we find audacity when that is not the energy we're we're tapped into? For me, I didn't even realize I was asking that question for the last few years, Um, but that's been a question I have been living by since I made the decision to step into a new way of being. There are four fundamental pieces to it that I think sum up my journey to audacity. The first one is claiming my authenticity. Embrace knowing you are exactly who you need to be. Messy and imperfect, that is you. That's definitely me. But also taking that feeling, that ache, that bittersweet yearning that fills my heart, that fills my chest in quiet moments. And trusting that that is the thing I am wanting to bring into this world. That is what makes me authentically me. Once I understand what authentically wants to come out of me, wants to be created by me, be it a business, be it art, be it a poem, be it a podcast, I then have a decision to make. That's step two. Decide. Make the decision to stand for yourself. I became a podcaster long before I recorded my first episode. Same with my art and my poetry. Same with my climate science. I decided to make these things my identity. And with that decision, I was able to then own that identity. Decide that there's so much power in that action. And it's right there at your fingertips to make that decision. From here comes step three, and that is to act from that identity. James Clear, the writer of the book Atomic Habits, and overall just like a phenomenal person on habit formation, he says that identity shapes your habits. And I'm living proof that it does. When you change your identity, you will change what you do in the world. Therefore, focus on who you want to become. The research shows that once a person believes in an aspect of their identity, they are more likely to act in alignment with that identity. I didn't become a podcaster because I thought I had everything to say. In fact, the exact opposite is true. I became a podcaster because I was struggling to put words into thought. There we go. Classic example. I was struggling to put thoughts and images and feelings into words. And I knew by using my voice, I would find it. I became a podcaster 
through the decision to podcast and then by starting to podcast. Easy as that. And the number four, and this one, hardest one that there is, I think, for me at least, and that is to trust. Trust that I got my own back, that I am resilient, that I can pick myself up when I fail and when I fall, when I embarrass myself. Trust that I am enough to do this, that I'm enough. Trust in myself might also be called love of myself. I am someone who has dreamed my whole life of being an artist, a poet, a coach, a dancer. And I took these dreams and I put them into a little corner in my heart and I left them there. And every once in a while, they'd come out, I would do, I would paint, I would take a class, I'd write a poem, but I never let these dreams emerge into me. I know the pain, the ache, the bitter sweetness of yearnings unfulfilled. I still have those yearnings inside of me that I have yet to put voice to. And at times, I know it may seem so far away from where you're at that it feels impossible, but it's not. It is right there. It is literally right there. It is a decision away. And you can make that decision in this moment. I can decide right now who I want to be in this life, to honor myself rather than the expectations of other people. It is just a decision away. Thank you for listening. Talk with you next week.